Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. Reading today from John chapter 10, verses 14 through 21. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are the sayings of a man are these these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The word of the Lord. Thank you, Jonathan. Good morning. Just to remind some of you that may not know. I'm Lou Amundsen, and I've had the privilege of serving the last several years on your leadership team on this church, and I have the privilege of sharing God's Word with you today as we continue in the series that Pastor John, or Pastor, uh, Pastor Todd started. I'm getting Dave in there, too, because he preached last week, Pastor Dave, uh, and we're going to continue in God's Word in that passage and in that whole section today. Vision tests are a regular part of life. We kind of get used to it because we have to have vision tests to see if we need correction so that we can see things clearly. And that's one of the reasons Pastor Todd chose this series that he's in. Uh, that He started this year, Jesus 2020 so that we can have 2020 vision, clear vision on who Jesus is. And that's by starting by looking at the I am statements that Jesus made. These are very important statements. Pastor Todd already talked about Jesus saying, I am the bread of life in John chapter 6. And then he went to John chapter 8 where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then last week, Pastor Dave talked about, I am the sheep gate, or the gate for the sheep. And that's how they enter in. They can only enter in through that. And that's a very important thing. And these I am's that Jesus is speaking is special because of the term that he uses, the I am term. That's the term that when Moses you remember, was speaking to God on that mountain. 
and God was speaking to him and God said, I want you to go to my people, my children Israel, and I want you to lead them from the Egyptian bondage out. And Moses said, but who shall I say sent me? Because the Egyptians, they had a God for just about everything. They had a God for this and a God for that and a God for anything else. They had so many different gods that all had different names. So the Jews were used to hearing about God and they're going, what What do you mean God? They've heard there's many. And Moses said, who shall I say sent me? And the Lord said, tell them, I am has sent you. And the implication in that in the Hebrew language is, I was, I am, and I always will be. I am. And that was such a sacred term that they rarely spoke it and they didn't write it a lot of times because it was such a powerful word. And it was even powerful in Jesus' own day. And Jesus is using these I am statements, which is demonstrating who he is and his power. Now there's something that that John puts in his gospel that's not in the other gospels. And that was that night that Jesus was betrayed in the garden. You remember when Judas led the pack in there to arrest Jesus? And they came in there and they were looking for Jesus And Judas was going to let him know who it was. But in John's gospel, he says something in there that is very unique that the other gospels don't mention, but John decided to mention. And it's when they came and they found Jesus in John chapter 18. Jesus It says in verse 4, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, They drew back and fell to the ground. You know what that means? When he said, I am he, they stumbled backwards and fell on their keisters. Just the power of his word. And we see other places in the gospel where Jesus made similar statements. And when the Jews asked those people that were supposed to go get him, they said, well, why didn't you bring him? They said, well, He speaks like no one else. He's spoken like no other man has spoken. And we see that. Well, we're going to continue with this vision 2020 and looking at the I am statements of Jesus. Now, last week, remember in the first part of uh, John chapter 10, Pastor Dave Doms was here and he talked about Jesus being the sheep gate and hearing the voice of Jesus, our great shepherd. That sheep, and he gave a lot of really good illustrations uh, from personal experience with dealing with sheep and sheep flocks and sheep farmers. 
One of the things that I think is so important is when Jesus said, I'm the sheep gate. When we look back in history in that Eastern society, Near Eastern society that they had, they, all these people were more or less Bedouins. They were roaming the countrysides with their sheep. And their sheep knew them and they got to know their sheep very well. And their sheep got to know them and would only respond to their voice. Another voice would call, they're going to take off and they're not going to listen. But at night, to protect the sheep, they would go into either a cave or a crevasse somewhere where it was closed in the back. And they would stack rocks along the sides. And they would take the flock and they would put them in there. And then they would lay across the entrance. The shepherd would. That's where he slept at night. Because he was the sheep gate. None of the sheep were going to get out to be harmed. And nothing was going to come in without going through the shepherd. The sheep gate. That's what was going through the mind of these people when they were hearing Jesus talk about that. But then he continued on even more. In verse 11, it's where I'm going to actually pick up today. Jesus, after talking about being the sheep gate, he said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now this thing of Jesus being the good shepherd, the word he's using is good. He's the good shepherd. So I just kind of retranslated it to 2020 language. He's the most excellent shepherd. Jesus is the most excellent shepherd Because the first thing he said he does, he says, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. And the man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. He's the most excellent shepherd because he said, I die, lay down my life for the sheep. This was taking it to a whole new level to those listeners that were familiar with shepherding. When Jesus made that statement, he was making that statement as a demonstration about the sacrifice that he was to make. You see, he was laying down his life for the sheep. That means he wasn't dying on his own, he wasn't dying for himself, he was dying for someone else. That's where we get the theological term vicarious. It was a vicarious sacrifice, and what that means is it was a sacrifice in place of another, in place of the sheep.
You see, Jesus didn't die on the cross just because. He had a purpose. To die for those who would follow him. So when he was placed on that cross at Calvary, he was doing it for others. And that's why the Bible is so clear when Paul talked about it in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He said that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Jesus knew no sin, but God let him take vicariously our sin and have it placed on him. I was born in 1951 and I lived a life and I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But I accepted Christ as my Savior. And you know what that means? Even though I was born in 1951, my sin died on a cross at Calvary when Jesus died. That's where my sin died. That's where it was paid for. Because he did that for you and he did that for me. That's the vicarious death that Jesus died on that cross at Calvary. In verse 14 and 15, he continues, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. He knows his sheep. Now, Pastor Dave talked a little bit about that last week. What does that mean? He means he knows me. And he knew me before I even knew him. And he knew all about my sin, my shortcomings, my weaknesses, my failings, my all the places I don't measure up, as it were. But remember what Pastor Dave said? He's a God of the do-overs. We get do-overs when we confess our sins to him. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, one of the big do-overs is kind of interesting. You remember how Peter felt after he had denied the Lord three, three different times and then the rooster crowed while Jesus was being punished and tortured And then led to Calvary. And afterward, Jesus, Jesus, even though he loved and he knew Peter, he knew all about him, Peter wasn't forgiving himself. Peter was having a really hard time with it. Jesus had appeared to the disciples a few times. And one day Peter got up and he was evidently having a chin dragon time. And he just looked at the other disciples and he said, I'm going fishing. And they said, oh, we'll go with you. So they all went fishing. And that was in in John chapter 21. And in John chapter 21, they were out fishing And then off in the distant shore, they could see someone there and they called out 
that person called out to Peter and the fishermen. They said, how many fish have you caught? And he said, we haven't caught nothing yet. He said, well, throw your your net on the other side of the boat. What? I mean, the boat's not that big. There's no fish on this side. What makes you think there's fish on that side? But they did it. And all of a sudden, the fish, kaboom, filled the net. Filled the net with large fish. In fact, there was 153 fish in there, the Bible tells us, in John 21. And that's when they thought, hmm. And the disciple that Jesus loves, John, he looked at Peter and said, that's Jesus. And Peter said, oh, and grabbed his coat that he had taken off, put it around his waist, jumped in the water and took off. Didn't even wait for the boat to go back to shore. He was heading to Jesus. And when they got there, Jesus was there and he had prepared them breakfast, you remember. And after he fed him breakfast, he took Peter aside and he said, Peter, in verse 21, verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these, more than these guys? He said, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. And what did Jesus say? Feed my lambs. Oh, the shepherd term. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because he had asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. That's what the good shepherd was telling Peter. So Peter got a do-over. And as we know the history, that after the resurrection of the Lord, he appeared to the disciples a few more times, and then one day he appeared to them in Jerusalem, and he said, I'm going. And he gave them the great commission. And he ascended up into heaven. And then they were all met met together and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And Peter and the others started preaching the word. And there was phenomenal church growth from time to time, from day to day. Some days it was 3,000. Some days it was more, some days it was less. But the Bible tells us the Lord added to his church daily such as should be saved through the teaching and the preaching of his disciples and the apostles. Jesus knows his sheep and they know him. But in verse 16, he brought another idea to mind. He said, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen.
They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. He has other sheep. Now remember, he's speaking to those Jewish leaders. And remember the context to which he was speaking to those Jewish leaders. Because in chapter 9, remember, Jesus came across a blind man and he healed him. He gave him sight. And the religious leaders, they said, how dare you? You healed someone on the Sabbath? (laughs) That's unheard of. That's terrible. As if that were a bad thing. So they questioned the man. And they even got his parents. And they said, was your son born? Yeah, they said he was born blind. Well, what's this that he can see now? They said, well, we don't know. We weren't there. But he's an adult. Ask him. And he said it was Jesus that did it. And because this man was healed and said Jesus did it, they threw him out of the synagogue because they had charged him with first degree being healed on the Sabbath. Oh my. Those man-made rules had been abused and we can't tolerate that. So they threw him out. And then Jesus started saying, well, I'm the sheep gate. Any sheep that come in, they know my voice, they hear me, they come in. And he continued with this whole idea. But then he got to this point in verse 16 where he says, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. And I must bring them also. There's something that the disciples didn't even understand at this point in time. Because it wasn't till several years later that all of a sudden things were starting to make sense as God was revealing more and more to them. In fact, it was after God had met Saul of Tarsus on that road to Damascus. And Saul of Tarsus came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and became Paul. And was called by Jesus to be an apostle. And Paul wrote about this as God was revealing things to him. And one of the things that he wrote about, we find in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 to 13. Therefore remember that formerly... You who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcised, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then he continues down in in verse 19. As he continues, he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people 
and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And then he says this, as he continues in chapter 3. He says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Now, a mystery is something that previously was not revealed, but now is going to be revealed. And he said, the mystery that is made known to me by revelation. And in reading this, then, you will be able to understand by insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been made been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. What is the mystery? This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. What he was talking about, he was writing to the church at Ephesus, which was predominantly a Gentile church. And he realized that the Gentiles always felt like they were second-class Christians because the first-class Christians were the circumcision, the Jews. But these non-Jews were kind of let in. Well, Paul's saying, hey, guess what? Whether you're Jew or you're Gentile, the Lord has brought you together as one equally in the body of Christ. There are no second-class Christians. They're all part of the same flock that Jesus was talking about. And this is a very important thing to really understand because this was at the heart of our Lord himself. That's why he said that, that there are other... I have other sheep that are not of this pen, or Israel, the Jews. He said, and I must bring them also. And they too will listen to my voice and they will be one flock with one shepherd. This was in Jesus' heart. And actually, when you think about it, It was at the heart of what Jesus prayed about in his high priestly prayer. Because that night that he was betrayed, remember, he went in the garden and we have in John 17, the high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed. And Jesus was praying in the garden. And in the whole John 17 high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ, he first started out and he he said, Father, my hour has come. Let me glorify you, God, and may you be glorified in me and through me. And he was just so intently concerned that God would be glorified, that it would all be according to God's plan. And then he started to pray for his disciples. 
And he, he prayed for them. He says, those you've given me, I've taught them. I've been with them. I've instructed them. And I've taught them all things. Work through them, Lord, and bless them. And then he made a transition in chapter 17 and verse 20. He said, my prayer is not for them alone, the disciples. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Who is that? Who is that that he's praying for there? Me and you. Jesus prayed for you. And this was his prayer. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Jesus prayed that we would be united together. But even more so than that, he's letting them know that these other sheep that he's bringing in, they're the Gentiles. That's us. So that's how we got brought into it. And it's a beautiful thing the way the Lord displays that and the way he showed it to us. Because the most excellent shepherd, he dies for the sheep. He knows his sheep. And he brings other sheep into the flock. And then, in verse 17, he continues... The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So not only was Jesus' sacrifice for you and me a vicarious event, that he was doing it in our place. But it was also victorious. It was a victorious sacrifice. He said, I'm going to lay it down, but I have the power to take it up again. And we know that because Paul even talked about that in 1 Corinthians 15, where he even went as far to say that Death is swallowed up in victory. And that we don't have to worry about things like death. And that makes it all all the more important that 23rd Psalm that we looked at last week. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it goes down and says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, because... Thou art with me. Jesus has been there, done that, and conquered it. 
And he says, and I'll be with you when you go through that yourself. There's the comfort that we have from the 23rd Psalm. Verse 17, he showed that his sacrifice was victorious. Verse 18, he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord and I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. He had the authority. No one else does it. His sacrifice was not only vicarious and victorious, it was voluntary. He didn't have to do it, but he did. He didn't have to die on that cross, but he did. He didn't have to do it, but he did. And we know what he did on that cross at Calvary when he was up there. One of the final words that he had to say after all was said and done. Remember, he said those powerful words. It is finished. Atonement was made. Salvation was brought forth. His sacrifice was complete. He did what God had called him into the world to do and sent him into the world to do. And he did for you and he did for me. And he said, it is finished. And at that same time, over there at the Jewish nation, the high priest was offering that sacrifice of the day at the third hour, at the three in the afternoon. And that's when... The Bible tells us that Jesus said it is finished. And what that high priest would do when he came out after offering the sacrifice for the nation, guess what he said? It was customary for them to come out and say, they'd step out from that veil from the holiest of holies that only he could go in and no one else could. And he would come out and he would say, it is finished. But as he said it that day, that veil was torn in two from top to bottom because of the power of what Jesus said. When Jesus said, it is finished, because what Jesus was saying is, it's finished once and for all. No more sacrifices needed there. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of eternity. And that's what we celebrate today. That's what we get to celebrate today with our service of communion. Because before Jesus went to that cross, Before all those things were to happen, he was teaching his disciples, he was teaching his inner group. And remember in that upper room when they had that last supper, he had washed their feet, they had prayed together, they had supped together, and then during that meal, Jesus took the bread and he broke the bread. And he said, take this, eat it. This is my body that is broken for you.
this do in remembrance of me. And after he did that, he took the cup and he passed the cup around and he said, take and drink. This represents the blood, the new covenant in my blood that is shed for you for the remission of sin. As long as you do this, you show the Lord's death until he returns. He said, do this in remembrance of me. As we have communion today, there's several communion stations set up if you're not familiar with it. The table of communion is open to all those who love the Lord, all those who want to worship the Lord. And if you're here today and you aren't sure if you do or not, you can still partake. And if you're here and you're not sure about all this, I would encourage you to go back. Marjo's back there by the cross. She'd be more than happy to talk with you and pray with you and pray for you to show you more about our Lord and Savior. But in just a moment, we're going to go ahead and open communion to everyone. As we always do, please take one of the bread wafers and one of the cups. And then as you return to your seat, you can partake of that bread wafer as the Lord leads you to. But hold on to that cup and we'll all partake of that together in unity, complete unity in the body of Christ. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for who you are as our most awesome shepherd. And Lord, we pray that as we partake of this communion, that you, Lord, will open our hearts to all that it is that you've done for us and help us to see your glory for who you are as King of kings and Lord of lords. And Father, we thank you in Jesus' name.